0: Bear down, Bears fans. Whew, almost lost my breath there. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City, Gridiron, and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and we have news, we have things to talk about, the Chicago Bears season is in the rear view mirror, finished up with a really ugly 17-9 loss to the Green Bay Packers. It was not that close. It was an ugly, ugly performance. And on the postgame show with Brad Spielberger, and maybe I was all caught up in the moment of Matt Eberflus just being humiliated by Matt Lafleur. I said that the Bears would make the right decision and move on from Matt Eberflus. Of course, caught up in the moment I've been saying the last couple of weeks, weeks that Eberflus was going to stay, but... Alas, I was correct in the long run and not in the moment. Matt Eberflus has returned. Luke Getze out as Chicago Bears offensive coordinator. We are going to talk about all that, and we are also going to talk about it with Lawrence Holmes of the score. He is going to be by here in a little bit, but let's talk about this decision. I don't think there's really much of a reason to rehash the Green Bay game. The Bears played like crap. The Packers played significantly better. The Packers can continue to humiliate this franchise. And why, oh, why do I want to spend time talking about how my football team cannot beat a team from a town in, uh, you know, upstate Wisconsin with about 17 people that live in it? You know, that's great. That's just absolutely great. It's wonderful. I love the fact that the Bears have not won a game you know, against them in six years. I love that they haven't won in Lambeau in basically a decade. It's great. Things are just going spectacular for the franchise. So no no reason to talk about it. I, I really don't see a reason to rehash that game because we have news, we have fresh things to talk about that just came down. And of course, let's talk about the decision to retain Matt Eberflus and the decision to jettison offensive coordinator Luke Getze. Let's start with Getze. That was an obvious one. There there was no reason to keep Luke Getze. I do get, I do get the argument that Luke Getze would be continuity for Justin Fields. He wouldn't have to learn a new offense, but Justin Fields in Luke Getze's offense is not good enough. Getze does not adjust his offense enough to suit Justin Fields' needs, Justin Fields' strengths are not what Luke Getze wants to do. We've talked about it time and time and time again. We can talk about the screens and we can talk about the repetitive play calls and and the questionable fourth down and the fourth and short and third and short calls. We can talk about all that stuff with Luke Getze, but the bottom line, really, the core of everything with Luke Getze is how did Luke Getze work with Justin Fields? And the bottom line was it wasn't good enough. Whether it was Luke Getzey's fault, Justin Fields' fault, it, I think it was more Luke Getzey's fault, but it doesn't matter because the bottom line is the development wasn't there. They traded away the number one pick. They traded away the opportunity to take Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, or Bryce Young, whatever path Polls would have wanted to do if he decided to take a quarterback last year for the idea that just give Justin Fields a year to develop. He did not develop enough. We entered week 18, not knowing the future of Justin Fields. And when you don't know the future after an 18-week season, you have your answer. We've talked about it. And and I'm going to talk about this. I'll I'll put in some caveats about if Justin Fields stays, but I'm going to talk about this situation with the idea that Justin Fields is gone and the Bears are going to take a quarterback because that's where the Matt Eberflus decision bothered me. Like I said, Luke Getzey, it was an obvious choice that he had to go. Most of the offensive staff went. Chris Morgan, the offensive line coach, was retained, which I understand there were some positives there from the offensive line in terms of development. Darnell Wright's rookie year, Braxton Jones' development, Tevin Jenkins moving to a new position. In fact, I answered a question about that a few weeks ago and and talked about how I thought Chris Morgan did some good things in terms of his job as the offensive line coach. But what I didn't like is I did not like hearing Matt Eberflus saying that the new offensive coordinator gets Chris Morgan. Like, period, end of story. He he has say in the other positional coaches, but none in terms of the offensive staff that was retained. Offensive line coach is really damn important. As far as I'm concerned, offensive line, in in terms of the coaching hierarchy, in terms of where I think most importance, offensive coordinator, obviously, top of the list. QB coach for obvious reasons. Second, offensive line coach is next. More so for me than wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, anything else. That offensive line coach is critical. A lot of times they have a play in, in a, you know, a say in how you construct the run game. That they're an important role in terms of blocking schemes. There's a lot that goes on there with an offensive line coach. It's an important position. And I do think Chris Morgan has done a pretty good job, but just saying that an offensive coordinator gets no say in that matter, didn't like that positioning from Matt Eberflus in in the press conference, but regardless, overall good decision to let Luke Getze go. But the problem here, and I'm going to try to not lose my temper because I have had a while here. It's the evening here on Wednesday after the decision has been made seven or eight hours ago. And I was tweeting out fast and furious because I was agitated and I was pissed off that the Chicago Bears fail to see the big picture, think bold, think big, and figure out what can we do that that can really set us apart and make us stand out from the rest of the teams in the NFL, where the NFL teams take notice and go, that. Team is someone that we're going to have to reckon with. And I just don't ever see it with the franchise. They think small. They don't think big. They live in the now. They don't look at the big picture. And here we have another decision that fails to see the big picture. And the big picture is about the number one pick. And I'm going to talk about the number one pick like it's going to be Caleb Williams. Now, if Justin Fields is retained, like I said, I'll do some caveats here, and Matt Eberflus is retained, I think that is a poor choice by Ryan Poles, but I understand keeping them both together, right? You have some level of continuity, even though Justin Fields would still have to learn another offense his third and four years. And again, the Chicago Bears, if you're a Justin Fields fan, you go, here's Zimmerman again, wanting to get rid of Fields. Now, if you're a Justin Fields fan, understand that I love Justin Fields, that I wanted Justin Fields to succeed here, that I'm proud of the strides. I am have you know pride for him in the strides that he made this year as a quarterback. I have hope for him to be a good quarterback in the future. But the Chicago Bears did everything wrong with Justin Fields. Mitch Trubisky and Rex Grossman, who both had to learn offenses in their first and second years in the NFL, different offenses. The Bears set them both up to fail. You can make the argument that they did not have the talent. And despite the Bears setting them up to fail, they also failed on their own. Justin Fields did not. Justin Fields was failed by the Chicago Bears organization. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. We all know this is true, that this is the case. And it's hard to know what I think Justin Fields really could have been if he had the right coach right away, if he had continuity, if he was in the same offensive system for three years. And no, I'm not saying Matt Nagy should have retained the coach, but you know what I mean. The theoretical, if Justin Fields had the right setup here in Chicago with a good offensive mind, a good teacher who had the same system that he was in for three years, growing and developing, if you built a proper team around him during those first two years and not the junk that he had and then finally give him some more help in his third season. All those things contributed to why Justin Fields is further behind the developmental curve than he should be. And that is the Chicago Bears' fault. And that's why there should be hope that Justin Fields to continue to develop. And that's, of course, why Bears fans want him to stick around, because there is hope that Justin Fields can continue to develop. But Justin Fields, if he is near his ceiling and you pass up on this opportunity to keep him, you have a major problem on your hand. And, oh, well, you can decline the fifth-year option, you can franchise tag him, you can buy time. No, you can't, because you have an opportunity to reset the quarterback clock with a high prospect. And when I hear Bears fans going, you can figure out the quarterback situation later. Can you? Really, as a franchise, because... They haven't figured it out for 70 years. And suddenly, when they have the number one pick and Caleb Williams and Drake May are both going to be there, suddenly, don't worry about taking two excellent quarterback prospects because the Bears can figure out the quarterback position later. That's the worst argument in the history of football arguments. I I can't even comprehend how you can... if you're a Justin Fields fan and you're desperate to try and figure out a way to keep him around, this is how you convince yourself that these are good decisions. Because this is how you end up with Matt Barkley and Jimmy Clausen and Rex Grossman and Kyle Orton and Jim Miller and Shane Matthews and, and all, you know, and Eric Kramer, despite him having his one good season, and Steve Walsh and, and all this cavalcade of crap that the Chicago Bears have constantly trotted out their quarterback is because they have, you know, Mike Glennon, because they have figured out the quarterback position later. No, you have an opportunity to figure it out right now and you need to do it. And if Brian Pohl said, I love Justin Fields, I'm committing to Justin Fields, end of story, he's our guy, then that was his assessment and he would move forward with it. But you listen to Ryan Poles today, and of course he said positive things. If you listen to this podcast, I said all he was going to do was say positive things about Justin Fields. He doesn't want to tank his trade value, and I'm sure he does like him and does appreciate the quarterback play he was able to put on the field. But at the same time, he also said we're going to evaluate the quarterback position and you know not leave every, you know unturn every stone. All, all the things you know he said. So it was pretty clear to me that he did not say 100% they were moving on from Justin Fields, but he certainly opened the door that that was a path that they were most likely going to take. So when we talk about this avenue to take, about selecting a quarterback, resetting the clock, getting a very good prospect in here, the Chicago Bears continue to fail and they do not learn from their mistakes. They repeat history over and over again. The old cliche, if you do not learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it. Dick Geron and Jerry Angelo select Rex Grossman in 2003. Jerry Angelo fires him in 2003. 2004, Lovey Smith, Rex Grossman's second year for the Chicago Bears, learning a new offensive system. Even if you want to talk about and comparing it to Justin Fields and the fact that if he stayed here, it would be his third offensive system in four years. Jay Cutler, offensive system, offensive system, offensive system, every year, turnover, turnover, turnover. Never gave Jay Cutler a chance to truly grow into the quarterback position in Chicago. Then they move on from Jay Cutler, John Fox and Ryan Pace select Mitch Trubisky. Although as we know, John Fox had nothing to do with it. Didn't even know it was happening. Total dysfunction there. And John Fox is fired, Ryan uh, Ryan Pace. Matt Nagy inherits Mitch Trubisky. Fast forward to 2021, where Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace select Justin Fields. And a year later, Nagy and Pace are fired for polls and Eberflues. You constantly have this thing where you are giving a young quarterback, you aren't setting him up in the optimal conditions to learn and grow. They want, you want them in the same system, the same coaches. You want solid players around him, a strong offensive line, receivers. I mean, while Mitch Trubisky had a pretty good offensive line in front of him as a rookie, he was throwing to Marcus Wheaton. You know, he had like the, one of the worst wide receiving groups in the entire league. Justin Fields, we don't need to, the sieve of an offensive line that was left for him, followed up with absolutely no one to throw to in year two changeover in systems again failing the quarterback the Chicago Bears had an opportunity to do something bold Ryan Poles had an opportunity to say Matt Eberflus I like you you've done great things for this team you have developed players you have done plenty of positives I'm not even going to bring up the negatives that are easy to bring up with Matt Eberflus the positives were there There weren't a ton of positives, but there were enough positives for Matt Eberflus to keep his job. But the bold thing to do was to say, we are drafting Caleb Williams. We are going to put Caleb Williams in the optimal position to succeed, and that is by bringing in a fresh coach and letting them, you know, fresh contracts, letting them grow together, develop together. And they have set up a chance for history to repeat itself again because Brad Biggs reported earlier that he believes Matt Eberflus is not on a five-year deal like most coaches get. He's on a four-year deal. And if he's on a four-year deal, that means next year is year three. What happens at the end of three years with coaches? Teams don't leave coaches going into lame duck years where they do not have a, a, a contract. They need the stability. So after three years now, you're going to have to make a decision if you are going to extend Matt Eberflus. That means Matt Eberflus is, in essence, in a win-now position for 2024 with a rookie quarterback. Now, I am not saying that Caleb Williams cannot come into this situation with DJ Moore, a young, developing, solid offensive line, Cole Komet, hopefully a good offensive coordinator, Hopefully it is optimal conditions for him to succeed. And the fact that Matt Eberflus is there a couple years ahead of him won't matter. I said it is not doomed for failure because the Chicago bears didn't do this. It's just not optimal for Caleb Williams. And if, if they go five and 12, because Caleb Williams gets off to a slow start or Caleb Williams gets hurt or, you know, and misses three or four games or, Whatever it may be, the defense regresses a little bit and they don't do as well as seven and 10. Or maybe they do seven and 10 again or six and 11 and they're close. And Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren go, we didn't see the growth this year. This isn't cutting it. And they cut ties with Matt Eberflus. Then Caleb Williams in 2025 gets a new head coach and a new offense to learn. And this is how quarterbacks fail. You have to put them in optimal conditions. Jordan Love was a project. And I know we all like to poke fun at the Packers and Jordan Love because it didn't look good for a couple of years and we were hopeful that it was going to fall on his face in Green Bay. But because he was a project, they were able to give him years to learn. And he steps in this year and looks fantastic for most of the season. He had problems, but overall, fantastic where his season this year would have been the greatest quarterback season in the history of the Chicago Bears. That's what happened here. We laughed at the Packers. We have Justin Fields. You're stuck with Jordan Love. And now the Packers are gonna consider giving Jordan Love $45, $50 million this offseason, and the Bears are moving on from their quarterback. This is the circle of suck that we continue to have, especially when we put this franchise up against the Green Bay Packers. So you have an opportunity to do everything right for Caleb Williams, and Ryan Poles did not do it. And Kevin Warren did not do it. They had the, the organization had an opportunity to think big and to see big, and they did not do it. And that is frustrating for me, and I fired off the tweets because I was pissed off that this franchise continues, continues to have opportunities, and they've never had an opportunity this good. And that's what's frustrating. In all the years past, top 10 pick to take Cade McNown, number two pick to take Mitch Trubisky, or three pick, straight up to two, to take Mitch Trubisky. Any of the times, and I get Trubisky was in the Patrick Mahomes draft, and Josh Lucas admitted they had a bad process and took Trubisky over Mahomes because they liked Trubisky's floor, more, not his ceiling more than Mahomes, his floor more than Mahomes, and that is a pussy way to draft. Lucas knows it. He has a lot of regrets looking back on that. Because if you, this isn't where you're taking a quarterback in the third round and you want a higher floor. No, you're shooting in a top, your number two pick, you're taking the first quarterback off the board and you're worried about if they don't reach their ceiling. Well, your analysis and, and your work that you put into these quarterbacks, you were supposed to figure out who was going to hit their ceiling. And Patrick Mahomes obviously did in Kansas City. Um and Mitch Trubisky didn't even hit his floor that I'm guessing the Bears expected him to have as he r- almost ruined the Pittsburgh Steelers season until Mason Rudolph bailed them out and they're back in the playoffs. And basically all oh, their losses this year were for the most part at the hands of Mitch Trubisky. When he go 0-3 and they went 10-7? I mean, absolutely brutal there from Trubisky. But the bottom line is they have never had an opportunity this good. Number one overall pick two years in a row. A quarterback prospect in Caleb Williams, throw out the word generational. I don't mean throw it out for him. Just get rid of it. This is still a guy that goes into that elite group of quarterback prospects of the last 25 years. You want to say he's not better than certain ones? Fine, that's, that's fine. I'm not trying to say he's the best. But when in that breath you speak of Peyton Manning and you talk about, Trevor Lawrence, and Joe Burrow, and Andrew Luck. This is the group that he's in of these top-notch prospects. Most of them hit. I think Tim Couch was very highly touted. You got to go back, what, 23 years, 24 years for Couch? He was highly touted. I would put Tim Couch in that category, just so you can hear that I am being objective and saying, there is no guarantee that these quarterbacks in that elite tier are going to pan out because Tim Couch did not. So Caleb Williams may not pan out, but you have an opportunity to think big and not accept mediocrity. And to me, Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields together, that's mediocre. Like, all right, let's do a little exercise here before I get to Lawrence Holmes. Close your eyes, Bears fans, close your eyes. And I want you to think of the ultimate season where the Chicago Bears win the Super Bowl. And you you're there you're, you're seeing that beautiful navy blue uniform. The players are rejoicing. The confetti is falling from the rooftops of, you know, whatever Stadium X of the Super Bowl year that you're picturing. And the broadcaster, you know, Joe Buck, Terry Bradshaw, Jim Nance, whoever it is comes up with Roger Goodell onto the podium, on the field, and they bring up the Bears and they bring up the the coach and the GM and everyone to congratulate them on this momentous achievement. And they hand the Lombardi trophy to Matt Eberflus. And he raises the trophy above his head and goes, Chicago, this one's for you. Can you picture Matt Eberflus winning a Super Bowl with the quarterback play that Justin Fields in year three in 2023 provided. Can you see it? And if you go, hell yeah, I can see it. Well, then you think the Chicago Bears made the right choice. But if you see a team like I do that would be going 10 and seven every year and making the playoffs and maybe winning a game every few years, making the playoffs three out of four years. Yeah, sure, because they've got a loaded roster. But are they really competing for the Super Bowl? I don't think they can. So now we're at a point where we have to hope that Caleb Williams is so good that he elevates the coach. Mike McCarthy, for example, gets a lot of crap for the decisions and and what he's done. I know the Cowboys had a good year, but Mike McCarthy gets a lot of, I don't know if he's as good of a coach as people thought he was originally. And that's because Aaron Rodgers elevated him. And that is what Caleb Williams is going to have to do for Matt Eberflus. Because Matt Eberflus, unless he really develops as a coach and really grows into this position, Matt Eberflus is a guy who is just a coach. Nice guy, the locker room's gonna like him, but when you need Matt Eberflus to win you game on Sunday... Where you need Matt Eberflus to make a decision, where Jim Nance and Tony Romo or Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, or you know wh- whoever Greg Olson, they sit there with Burkhart and go, "Wow, what a job by Matt Eberflus." When you need that to happen, it's not going to happen, and that is the problem with this Chicago Bears team. And the last thing before we get to Lawrence Holmes, Kevin Warren, now. Did I want Kevin Warren to think big and really get this team to the next level? I did. But what I don't want is Kevin Warren uh, ruling football ops with an iron fist. Ryan Poles knows more about football than Kevin Warren. Kevin Warren knows about business, knows about structure, and knows enough football to keep football ops accountable, which Ted Phillips couldn't do. But Kevin Warren can. And they had long meetings with Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. And that means Kevin Warren was thorough and really pushed Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles is the guy who likes Matt Eberflus. Clearly, I understand it wasn't quite his decision to bring him in. He was a finalist. Poles had to pick from the the list, in essence. But clearly, he believes in Matt Eberflus. And Kevin Warren had Ryan Poles be accountable. They spent two days of meetings basically to decide the path forward. And Ryan Poles had, you know, conviction that he was, that this was his guy. And Kevin Warren says, okay, he's your guy, move forward. That's what you want from your president. So I'm not mad that Kevin Warren didn't come in and fire everybody and take over football ops. That's not what he's here to do but he's here to keep that department accountable. And it sounds like he did. Now, I don't agree with the decision and I would not have kept him. But if you've made the decision already to keep Ryan Poles, and this is the head coach that Ryan Poles wants, then you also kind of have to accept it. You you can't just force your employees to do the things that you may want to do. And I don't know what Kevin Warren wanted to do. But if he disagreed with Ryan Poles, he forced Ryan Poles to be thorough, to come to a conclusion, to have conviction with the decision, and to move forward with it. And in a year, if there is, if it's a mess in 2024 because of Matt Eberflus and Kevin Warren isn't happy, well, then not only is Matt Eberflus potentially in trouble, but then Ryan Poles is in trouble as well. And that's how you hold a department accountable. We're going to talk about all this with Lawrence Holmes next This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the podcast. Looking forward to this because he gives great Chicago Bears insight every time he is on this podcast. You can, of course, catch him several places in Chicago media. Of course, that would be middays on the score with Dan Bernstein, the House of L podcast, football night in Chicago. He's everywhere. It is Lawrence Holmes at Lawrence W. Holmes on Twitter X. And he joins me now. Lawrence, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Bill It's good to
1: talk with you, man. I'm I'm doing well. I am trying to work through what's happened over the last uh, 10 hours or so and figure out what any of it means.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been I mean, look, I don't think it was totally shocking that Getsy out and Eberflus in. I think that's what a lot of people kind of were thinking may happen. But bef- before we kind of get into everything, why don't you just kind of give me your and when you heard the news come down about what was happening with Getsy out and Eberflus staying, what was your initial reaction?
1: Well, I thought that there was a chance that everyone would come back. I thought that 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 might be possible. But I, I said on the show yesterday that. If we're talking about Iberflus, Getzy, and Fields, that Getzy had the worst case to stay. And I think that bared out in them deciding to move on, but keep Matt Iberflus, and we'll figure, we'll find out, but I don't think we'll find out until April, but we'll find out what they're going to do with Justin Fields on this. From everyone that I talk to, and I'm sure we we run in some of the same circles, you and I, I'm sure that you've had people ask you, what are the bears doing on offense? Like that happened a lot throughout the season. And when you look at the way that not that more weight should have been put on Sunday's game than others, but when you look at the way that that game played out and you're sitting there going, wait, they only had 20 some odd dropbacks for Justin Fields in a game where you, you didn't have anything that was at risk, Like you could have let it all hang out. You could have tried all sorts of stuff against green Bay and you played this bizarre style. The thing that annoys me, we joke on the show with Layla that Layla gets furious when she sees a short side crack toss play. <laughs> I am furious when I would see Luke Getze take the smallest person of his offense and ask that person to set an edge on a play. Oh, yeah. And it's happened over and over again. And it's really, really frustrating. So, yeah, Trent Taylor didn't do so well against Rashawn Gary. Right. Like <laughs> the and and they did they've done that with Darno Mooney too on yep. plays. And it's like, come on, man. Like there's one guy on the team. If you're gonna use a wide receiver in those situations, it's it's equanimus a brown. Like that's it. Like that's the only guy that should be doing stuff like that. Maybe a crack by DJ Moore because he's so damn strong, but that's it. That that, that so I I don't know. I I actually think that Luke Getsee as an offensive game planner, pretty good. I liked his scripts, but as the game went on, I I always was left lacking at his ability to figure out what the other team was trying to do and then counteract it.
0: Yeah. Counter punches were always lacking there with Luke. I I agree. I just, it it wasn't working. I mean, if Justin Fields stays uh, and I I believe they're going to move on, but you know, obviously that is on the table. If he stays the idea of having a third offensive, it was one of those things. It's this double-edged sword. It's this yeah. third offensive coordinator in four years or an offensive coordinator who's just not clicking and wants to run an offense that doesn't suit him. And I've been thinking about this too. I've been trying to think
1: a little bit bigger when it comes to how quarterbacks are developed. And yeah, conventional wisdom says, asking someone to learn another offense this quickly is probably not a good idea, but I think it depends on who the teacher is. And if you bring in someone who understands the strengths of Justin Fields and can work around him and work with him, I think that there's a player in there. And I, I understand if the bears feel the need to draft one, like I, I get it. it. It's not, it's not necessarily what I do because I think that that number one pick can be ransomed considering how many teams need a quarterback. But if you are planning to keep Justin, even though it would be his third system, make sure that, you know, if the investment in Justin is going to be, hey, these two years, we need to make a huge jump into who we are picking up the fifth year option, like all that stuff make sure that the person that you hire to be the offensive coordinator is is in agreement that Justin is the guy. That buy-in to me, Bill, is so important. I I think that's one of the things, quite honestly, that helped Luke Getzey back. It felt like he was trying, like similarly to Nagy, where he was mm-hmm. looking at the dry erase board and saying, well, this is the way that it's supposed to work instead of what works best for you. Like, let's make this thing. uh, uh, Unfortunately, I'm going to say the word the Bears fans hate. Let's make this a collaboration (laughs) of of, of offensive thought and see if we can come to some consensus on how we're going to win games. I would have liked to see him do that.
0: Yeah, the the lack of look, it, it's fine if you have a, you know, a general core, a general identity of what you want your offense to be, but you have to adapt it to your personnel. And I even think, you know, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberfloos kind of brought that up today about, you know, it, they didn't use these words, but basically about putting players in a position to succeed and, 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 and putting them in the best places. And Luke Getze time and time again just didn't do that. And I just if Fields is the guy, I would rather have him in his third off in four years than working with luke again it just you know i, I felt that they were button heads it got was getting better in december but and then you know like you said this packers game it's s- same thing again you get past those scripted plays you ask luke getsy to do sequencing and counters and yes. and, and adapting on the fly what you have to do to what the defense is doing it just it never came together and that's why those first-year play callers are dangerous. And, and with Matt Nagy, it was the same thing. I mean, and, I know he called plays a little bit there, but you know, a- Andy Reid obviously handled that. And even in year one, I've heard a lot that Brad Childress had a lot of hand input in, yes, in, into is. the play calling and everything. And when he was gone, things derailed with Nagy. So whatever offensive coordinator it is, and I don't care if it's Fields, Caleb Williams, Drake May, it doesn't matter to me. I need someone that has experience calling plays and has done it successfully. Obviously, if they don't have a job right now, it's 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 not perfect. But you need to have someone with success there. I don't want them to try and break in a new offensive coordinator again.
1: Yeah, it's rough. I mean, I it's it's like one of those things where it's one of the things where I, I couldn't really understand why my colleagues were so upset about Eberflus being retained is because you want, you knew that the offense coordinator needed to be fired. Like you knew that. So I'm, I'm still honestly like on the fence about Eber I think there's a lot of good to what he did, but it's hard to ignore. You're the one who made the hires of people that you had to fire. You're the one who keeps taking the ball when you win the coin flip, you know, like you're the one who stopped paying attention to what was going on with the offense so that you focus on defense and and maybe in not being the ceo head coach you let a lot of things slide that you weren't paying attention to like so so there's but i understand if 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 you're Ryan Polls and you say we more than doubled our win output in year 2 than we did in year 3 and on top of that we we made strides in getting better defensively, where you're talking about one of the more dangerous defenses, what was it like 17 17 interceptions in the last uh eight games or something crazy yeah, like, something that. like that? Yep. Like like they were taking the ball away. And if if I were Matt Eberflus, and I've said this before, one of my arguments to keep my job was you didn't give me a pass rusher until week eight of season two. And look what my defense did. Once you gave me one pass rusher, imagine if we had two or three, like a lot of good teams do. So I'm—I mean, I'm kind of stuck on. I get it. Like I get that this is a kind of a risky move for polls. In the press conference, you heard Kim, Iberflus, and Kevin Warren talking about year three, like how important year three is. I think that polls could have kind of reset things with a new coach. I think this is the more risky road. And if he, if he ends up keeping Justin, then it's really risky. And it, and it really does offer an opportunity at the end of it for Kevin Warren to clean house at the end of next year, everybody got to go, including polls. So with that level of conviction, it, it makes me wonder what he heard in those exit interviews from players about how they feel about Matt Eberflus versus how they felt about the offensive staff.
0: Yeah, and and that's that's the thing, it, you know. Since you brought up Matt Eberflus, let, let's talk about it. And the one thing, and, and I'm not saying this exists; it's more of a curiosity for me. Is you know, and I've heard from multiple people how much this locker room loves Matt Eberflus and has his back. That's great. But whenever I hear players talking about it publicly, it's always defensive players like I haven't heard. And maybe you have and I missed it, but I haven't heard DJ Moore talking about how much he loves Matt Eberflus or Tevin Jenkins or, you know, Khalil Herbert or Cole Komet. I, now, maybe they do. I'm not saying that, but it's always a defensive player. And I was like, well, of course, the defensive players love Matt Eberflus. But but more so about Matt Eberflus, for me, I am one of those guys that that was you know, upset and wanted to see them move on. And, and for the reason of if you're bringing in a new quarterback, and that's where my stance is, the idea of doing, of of repeating history of the Mitch Trubisky, John Fox into Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy, and Justin Fields into, you know, with Matt Nagy into, uh, into, into Matt Eberflus, even going back to Rex Grossman with Dick Jaron, And then next year in the Lovey Smith, they, they, they never line it up. It's frustrating to me. And while you can absolutely make the argument that Rex Grossman and Mitch Trubisky just weren't good enough quarterbacks to succeed, I am confident that if Justin Fields does not reach his potential in his career, it is because of what the Chicago Bears did to him his first two years in the league. Mm. I believe they ruined him. Now, he's he overcame a lot this year, and, and he did improve. But to me, it's just one of those things where where time has expired and they need to make a decision. And if they had one more year, if they didn't have, again, if they didn't have the number one pick, if they were picking nine and 12, totally different argument about the quarterback position, but it changes it for me that they, you know, in essence lucked into it. I mean, kudos to Ryan Poles for picking the right team to make that <laughs> trade. With. I mean, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. You know, John Gruden picked the wrong team to trade Khalil Mack to, because he did not think the bears were going to be good. And they ended up picking, you know, 22 or whatever, but but to me, that was my issue is they've opened up the door, like you said, risky with what he's done, an opportunity for Kevin Warren potentially to clean house if they don't have the results in 2024 they want. And if they do that with a rookie quarterback, the Chicago Bears are literally repeating history for the third time in seven years.
1: Yeah, I I get that point of view. I truly do. And I, I understand where people are coming from on it. I just I and mean, I will say that and that this is the other part that I think puts polls in a little bit uh, of jeopardy if this doesn't work. If it is to be believed, and I'm not saying that I share this belief, but if it's to be believed that he inherited Matt Eberflus, he can't use that now. Yeah, true. And that's that's your man's now. Like you endorsed him by not firing him. So the level of expectation shouldn't go down. It should go up about what you want in, in year three. And that's using Kevin Warren's vernacular that you better, like the expectation cannot be lowered. The expectation has to be, you are putting together a playoff team. And now he's got to figure out from the quarterback standpoint, if that road is, is possible with Justin and how, easily or how quickly you could get it going with whomever you decide to draft at number one, if that's what you decide to do. I I just, man, I get why people want to start over. I just think that with what, with how many desperate teams there are this year, as opposed to last year to get there, it'd be hard to pass up the opportunity to 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 ransom that pick off and and really like really set yourself up for sustained success if it's still polls and crew or whoever the next general manager is because if you do it right now you're talking about multiple number one picks in a couple of back in back to back drafts and that's the type of thing that can help jumpstart an organization.
0: Yeah. And you, that was a really good point. I hadn't really, really talked about that and, and thought about that, that Ryan Poles in essence punted his opportunity for a second coach. I, I, you know, I'm pretty confident that Ryan Pace multiple times made it clear to his bosses that he did not like John Fox. I mean, he didn't even tell John Fox he was going to draft Mitch Trubisky. I mean, that, that was clearly a, that a wild story. It's amazing. <laughs> and that is clearly a relationship that, that wasn't working, but yeah, Ryan Poles had that. I mean, that endorsement that Ryan Poles gave Matt Eberflus after the Montez sweat trade, when he sat at that podium, that was not, you know, Matt Eberflus is our head coach. That was, I love this guy. You guys right. do know how good he is. So, you know, I, I, I heard, you know, all, all the stories that they, they had at the three finalists and they told Ryan to pick one, or they had to collaborate to pick one and, and all those things where it wasn't totally his guy, but whatever the decision was then, Matt Eberflus has won over Ryan Poles. That, uh, you know, between that that those comments in in October and that and the decision here, Poles is fully in Eberflus's camp.
1: Yep, it seems that way. And and now now Eberflus has to prove him right. Eberflus has to take whatever those good feelings were from inside of his locker room this past season, and he's got to he's got to make Ryan Poles look smart. Ryan Poles also has to do smart stuff. They've got money and draft capital. They're in a great position to, to improve what they think is a team that should be able to compete. You drop a wide receiver in there, for God's sakes, get a center. Huge. Absolutely. A veteran, too. Not, not Yes. A veteran. Yes. For God's sakes, do that. Another running back, I think a, 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 a running back with some quicks. And. Maybe, maybe some help to tackle. I don't know, but I think you're moving in the right direction and you're making yourself a, a sexy pick next year for the playoffs.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And you know, you you brought up the idea of of the ransom. So let's talk about Justin Fields in that number one pick here for a little bit. And to me, you know, I love adding up the pieces. I love comparing things to, to historical you know, trades and and where things stack up. And I've said this multiple times. If Ryan pulls whatever he decides to do, he drafts Caleb Williams and Caleb Williams or Drake May and they become stars. Great. He decides to trade down and get another haul and you just take whatever haul he got here and add it to the original haul that he got from the Carolina Panthers. He is in a position To, in my mind, arguably end up with the greatest trade in NFL history, like more Hmm. so than the Herschel Walker trade. Like it's that kind of level. I mean, already having DJ Moore, Darnell Wright, and Tyreek Stevenson with all this capital still to go is, is ridiculous. So, he gets all the credit in the world there. and that's that's to me is the most fun is to just play the the trade down game and, and who, who you know what you could possibly get. I know love people love doing the Raiders and do, get so Max Crosby can hop aboard with, with whatever haul they, they can get. So I get the appeal there. I I really do uh, you know for me, the reasoning is is I look at it. I don't look at it is is that good is good enough. And to me, and that's where I was frustrated with Matt Eberflus, is I think, I think Matt Eberflus did a fine job and I've compared him to, to Rick Renneria, 2014, Rick Reneria. He had the Cubs going in the right direction. They had a yep. winning record the last 60 games, but Theo Epstein goes, I'm going to go get Joe Madden and fired him unfairly. That was kind of me with Matt Eberflus. I'm like, if you can go out and get, get a big dog at head coach, go do it. And Eberflus you, you built everything up. Congratulations. And thank you. But to me, the combination of Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields, and I love Justin. I was excited when they drafted him, and, and I've been so hopeful for that. I don't see that as a Super Bowl tandem. I see that as a team that can go win 10 games and be competitive and, and be a good team for multiple years, but I don't see Matt Eberflus holding up the Lombardi with the confetti coming down. I, I just don't see that, in, in and I don't see it in Justin, because like to me, Justin plays like he should be awesome, off script in the fourth quarter and the two minute drill. And I just, I haven't seen it come together. And there's just, there's holes here at this point And I just don't see enough where, when you're in this position where you're just like, all right, we have to make a call. We're not going to have the, the pick up, figure out the quarterback position later. If we give fields a couple more years, it's not this kind of opportunity. This is a huge level of an opportunity. So that's, that's where I am, where I sit there and go, I love the idea of, of the haul you can get for them but I just can't pass up this opportunity. And unfortunately, like I said, unfair to Justin, because those first two years were BS for him. Time's run out for me. Do you got a quarterback that you like? I like Caleb Williams. I, I am a huge fan of Caleb's. I'm not opposed to Drake May. I haven't watched nearly as much Drake May as I have watched Caleb Williams. I think that you should watch Jaden Daniels because I think you'll like him more. Than I, I like Jaden I have watched some Jaden Daniels too. I, I, I try and watch as much college football as I can, but you know, have I sat down and done all 22 grinding on Daniels? I have not.
1: You should. Cause I, I, I gotta tell you, like I wasn't a believer in him in, at Arizona state. And I remember watching him and I'm like, I don't see it. Cause you know, when he came out of high school, people were like, this is the dude, like this is the guy. And I had some friends that worked at Arizona state and they were like, look like he he can do it. He, he goes to LSU and I'm watching him and I'm like, wow, he really can make every throw. He's got a lot of mobility. Obviously the fear is he's 200 pounds. I mean, right. he's, you know, six foot five or whatever. And I don't know if that can ever be fixed. I I've spent my life, my, the, the, the majority of my adult life, looking at the White Sox, trying to put weight on Chris sale. And some <laughs> guys just can't, you know what right. I mean? Like some guys just can't put the, the, the pounds on, but I watched Drake may and I was like, I wanted to be like, man. Okay. I think I even placed a bet on FanDuel that he'd be the number one pick. Okay. And I mean, I guess it's still viable, but I watched him and I was like, I see the measurables and, and the measurables are cool. I don't, I don't see winner with him. Um, I think it's a much easier case for Caleb Williams, even because of everything else that was going on at SC where my goodness, you don't have a defense, that sort of thing. I'm not as high on Caleb Williams as other people are. I have some questions. Um, I've talked to people in both college and in pro that have concerns about Football character, not he, everyone seems to say that he is a, a top notch young man, not a criminal like none of that stuff. But I do wonder if. If if you're getting what you think you're getting with him, um, and when I go back and look at the tape on him and I look at the games that mattered for USC this year, I'm struck with some of his limitations. And I think that his limitations are very similar to Justin Fields. Now you could argue, cool. If you're swapping out like the same guy, but you're starting a four-year clock. Okay. Like I get that, but I just, one of the problems that Caleb Williams had in college, and especially this year was fumbles. That's a, that's a problem for Justin Fields. One of the problems that Caleb Williams had this year against good teams was throwing from the pocket off script that dude makes magic. And a lot of times in the pocket too. Like, I don't want to act like he can't throw from the pocket. I think that would be unfair, but it's similar to what Justin is, as a pro. Um, And so, and, and I wonder how big he is. I'm, I'm very much looking to the, I'm looking forward to the combine because that man is shrunk. Every year that that he's been in college football, from oh he's six two to well he's six one, well he's six feet and and three quarters. So I want to get the official measurements on him. And if I'm if I end up being wrong about that and he's actually six two, then go forth. I mean he's a even if he's six feet, like you can look at him and see that he's a more like stout six feet than Bryce Young is. Right. Like he yeah, he Bryce he's, is he's, slender. Yeah. Yeah. Bryce is. I feel bad because, you know, I, I love Alabama. Like, and I love Bryce. And I see that dude and I'm like, oh, man, he really does look like someone's little brother. Like, <laughs> ran onto the field, put on a helmet, and is now quarterback in the Carolina Panthers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I never have met Bryce in person. I met Kyler Murray in person. And I remember it was before the draft and, and it was down at the Super Bowl. And I was sitting there, I'm like, this guy can't be an NFL quarterback. Like I just was looking at him and and the guys who have met both have told me like Bryce, might have a little height on him, but Bryce is smaller. Yeah, like, man. Like, I don't know how that works. So the, with the Caleb Williams stuff, the, the, the couple things I'll say about that is one, if you go look at the Heisman picture from two years ago with everyone, and he's standing right next to CJ Stroud, they look pretty similar to me in terms of height and build and everything. So, you know, you know, we'll see on the combine. Maybe he was wearing, you know, some, you know, some thick shoes. It's a, it's I don't know, boots. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but he looked pretty good next to CJ Stroud there, but, you know, and I agree. Caleb's got some of the same issues as Justin. He holds on to the ball too long. It creates too many sacks. He does fumble. There there's issues. He is not a perfect prospect by any means The you know, the off the field stuff, you hear, you know, wild swings about who he is, you hear some really negative things and some really positive things. You know, he's yep. taking his, he's taking his offensive lineman out to dinner, just like, you know, Jim McMahon used to do, you know, the teammates do seem to like him, you know, but at the same then, time, then you, then you get
1: up, that video from the bowl game where people were assuming that them talking about becoming a team had to do with the fact that he wasn't the quarterback. I think that that's probably unfair. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it seems like too. there was a lot of stuff that was going on at SC this past year and people jumping out into the transfer portal. But it's um it's a it's an interesting situation that you find yourself in when you start looking at the bus rate of the number one overall picks. It should give you some pause. And if if you think that you're close, like you don't, you can't waste time with Montez Sweat. Like you didn't bring him here to waste time. Right. And, and you probably already wasted eight weeks, but you, you signed this man to a long-term extension. Make sure that you're able to maximize that and keep going. Um, we'll see. Like I, I'm not going to argue with people anymore that want to draft Caleb Williams. I get it. All I, all I would say, I know that this doesn't apply to you. Cause I know that you, you've done the work. All I would say is go watch the tape. Like, yeah, go absolutely. watch the tape, and, and and if you walk away not if you walk away saying, oh, he's way better than Justin, then I got I got questions about you. If you think that he's way better, if you don't see some of the same flaws, then I can, th- there's no amount of discussion that we're gonna have that we'll be able to like find
0: consensus. Yeah, the big difference between the two of them, where I like Caleb a lot more, and I th- I think you agree here. Justin's delivery of the football is pretty deliberate. And Caleb has an Aaron Rodgers Dan Marino flick of the wrist. Like it yeah. is it's lightning quick. And I think that's gonna help him out a lot more if he's holding on to the football, where Justin gets himself in more trouble.
1: Yeah, his Justin's throw kind of feels a little bit like his release feels a little bit like a baseball player. Yeah, you know, there's a which there's he, a lot which of played,
0: you know <laughs> right.
1: There's a lot of this, and with Caleb, it's more this. So uh, it it you're right. Like that's a that's a definitely something to keep in mind. Although I do wonder what happens when guys aren't schemed open like they are in a Lincoln Riley offense, where it once Caleb gets to this the defensive speed of the NFL, do we see him hesitate? Do we see his delivery lengthen? Do we see his processing maybe take longer than we would like? All,
0: I think, valid questions inside of all of the scouting that's going to be done between now and April. Yeah, I'd like to see Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus do kind of the what they did with Darnell Wright, where they just really run him through a workout and push him hard and see how he responds and see how much how many questions you can answer there. Yeah. Last thing for you here before I let you go. Uh, Were you able to watch all the press conferences today? And if you were reaction to Kevin first time, really hearing Kevin Warren talk football operations and your thoughts of him as president.
1: I, I was talking to a buddy of mine and they asked me what I thought was positive. And what I thought was positive is clearly Kevin is paying attention, which is great, but it seems like he's good with Ryan making the football decisions that he doesn't, necessarily feel the need to jump into making the football decisions. I also thought, um, cause I was trying to, I, I told Dan and Layla today, I was like, I guarantee you that a big crux of that press conference is going to be about the stadium. Of course, uh, Kevin is not going to pass up an opportunity to apply leverage. And I think that he did that. I, I will say that I didn't, I don't think that he's happy about the deal that was put in place before he walked in the door. I think that he thinks he could have done better and that's exactly what I want. The, the the president of the Bears to 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 do is look out and say, yeah, this deal like I feel like that deal hamstrung the Bears in competing and maybe getting the best overall fan experience for everyone. I don't I'm I'm a resident of Chicago, like the city. I am a south sider and with all the money that it looks like is going to be spent on this, I do not want the citizens of Chicago to have to pay for any sort of renovation in Soldier Field. Now I get yeah, it. They, yeah, they did that. <laughs> I, I I get it, and they still owe money. Like right. we still owe money on right. that, and that's bad. If if they and and I get that in Arlington Heights as a resident of Cook County, that I'm probably gonna have to share something. <laughs> To, for them to do that, but I don't. There's no land on the lakefront. I mean, I, if they turn down George Lucas, I, I mean, I would. I mean, you've been over there. One, you got to worry about the columns. Two, there's a police and fire memorial right behind the stadium. That yep. there's no place to go but up, and that means you tear it down, which means. Oh well, they're going to play in in uh, Champagne again, you know, for for the foreseeable future. I guess they could go to Evanston, but they'll play in Champaign again. I don't want that. I want it to be a clean operation, and I think that Kevin Warren is open for business, and he is going to use the leverage of Chicago to try and get something done, as as it pertains to Eberflus and Poles, to me, it's really clear, um, and, and I don't know how my partner is going to react to this when we discuss it tomorrow. Polls laid down who's in charge of the Bears football operation. You can be mad if you want to, but this is what I thought all Bears fans wanted. I thought they wanted to know instead of guessing who's making decisions. I think it was good that George wasn't there on the dais answering questions. You wanted someone to be in charge of football? Guess what? Ryan Poles is in charge of football. Now you have to live with the decisions that he makes, even when you disagree with them.
0: Yeah. And, and here's what I'll say. And this is what I've wanted. And I think this is what the bears have now. Ted Phillips to me was someone who could never hold football operations accountable, like Ryan Pace or, you know, you know, whoever, whoever Jerry Angela didn't matter or Ryan you know, Poles. Yeah. Yeah was going to do what they wanted to do. And they did not have to answer as to why they did it because Ted Phillips didn't know all I wanted from a team president was someone who could hold football ops accountable and be like, know enough about football to know that this is going in the wrong direction or right, you know, and let the GM stand by their decisions but be able to actually question them as to why get a better understanding and maybe, you know, collaborate <laughs> to use that word and, and come up with some better ideas in certain areas. But I certainly didn't want to, you know, a president swinging his, you know, what around and pushing Ryan polls around. That's not what the team needed. The team needed a president that at least could just look at football ops and not even just from what decisions are they making but how is it run operationally like yes. a business and being able to see where it can improve and what they're doing right and wrong and kevin warren to me seems like the guy that is able to do that and should be able to do that moving forward i would agree
1: and i think it's hard to judge anyone off of a couple of press conferences and some weird feature stories <laughs> um, but i i think that that's exactly what you want the president of football operations or baseball operations on like the business side of baseball, that person's job is so much bigger than what's happening on the field. That's why you have a general manager that that's going to be in charge of that. Kevin Warren is spinning a whole lot of plates. So I like the idea that, yeah, he's, he should be passionate about losses. He's the president of the bears. He shouldn't want to be embarrassed on national television, but I like that. He didn't kind of come in here and just react like he didn't react. Like a fan would react and just flip out and say, Oh, okay, well now we're, I'm just going to tear all this stuff apart and we're going to start over. No, he's out here preaching that, that he should be give. He should give his general manager autonomy to go an agency to do what he wants to do. And I don't know if it's going to work. I have my problems with Ryan Poles. There's still things about him that I don't like. But on balance, I would say that he's done a better job than not. I have some quibbles, but I think that he's done a really solid job. Let that man go forth and let's see what else you can do. He made a risky choice in keeping Matt Eberflus let's see if his instincts are better than ours regardless. right
0: yeah and as and i agree with you i think ryan Poles had a fabulous 2023 just i mean really couldn't have done much better than he did 2022 i had issues and a lot of them revolved around what he didn't do for justin fields but you know we we move on here at this point whether Justin's right. here or not it's 2024. so o- overall i think Poles is going in the right direction and and you even if you're frustrated in the moment, you know, there is something to, about trusting him and, and seeing what he can do. Again, not what I would have done, but you know, we'll see if it works out. So there he is. Lawrence Holmes of the score, the house of L podcast, and of course, football night in Chicago. I think I said, might've said America at, at the top. I mean, it's, A it's, football an night off, in Chicago. it's an offshoot, right? Absolutely. We're all
1: NBC. So that's where we got the
0: idea from. So yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Uh, but yeah, follow him on Twitter at Lawrence W. Holmes. Lawrence, thanks for so much time. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, Billy, anytime, man. Thanks. All right. There he is. Lawrence Holmes, everybody. Always a good segment with Lawrence. I didn't know. I, I thought maybe we might get a little spicy there. Cause I know we don't really see eye to eye with the Justin Fields, Caleb Williams situation, but overall a nice civil discourse. I thought that was a good conversation. You see point-counterpoint. You know, he he gave his reasonings. I gave my reasoning. There was no argument there. It was just a good, solid conversation. So let's get to some questions here. I got a ton of them. We'll get through as many as we can here in the next 10, 15 minutes or so. How about Chicago Football Connection and uh, Eric Derwachter from Windy City Gridiron? Both of them have a similar question. Chicago Football Connection, why don't the Bears want me to be happy? And Eric says, Bill, is there any reason to be optimistic? So similar question, so here's what I will say. Chicago Football Connection, they do want you to be happy. They just don't know how to make you happy. That's the problem. George McCaskey wants every fan to have their every heart's content fulfilled. He doesn't know how to do it. And they, again, this failed opportunity to do something bold is just frustrating. But Eric, there is some reason for optimism, and that's that number one pick. I would not be optimistic bringing back Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields with another offensive coordinator. And if that's the decision, which I do not think it will be, and we will talk about that a ton over the next couple months, I would be disappointed because that, to me, is settling for mediocrity. But Caleb Williams has an opportunity to rise above that. And if they can bring in the right offensive coach here in the next few weeks, and that coach just gets into a good groove with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams could lead the Chicago Bears to the, not that Justin Fields couldn't either, but Caleb Williams could lead the Chicago Bears to the playoffs in 2024. That should be the expectation. Depending on what happens here in free agency and the draft, and I expect some good things to happen here. If Ryan Poles has a similar 2024 as he did 2023, this roster is gonna be even better. And if the quarterback play even just dips a little, where, you know, Justin Fields on a scale of one to 10, if Justin Fields, you know, let's just say he was about average below average in terms of overall performance and based on the numbers and the statistics, if Justin Fields is a five out of 10 in year three or could be a six in year four and Caleb Williams is at a four or a five, just slightly below him, with the rest of the team improvement, seven and 10 could easily become nine and eight and they could get into the playoffs. If Caleb Williams plays as well as Justin Fields would, in essence, then yeah, sure. Nine and eight, 10 and seven. Absolutely. And that's the thing. If Caleb Williams is close to what Justin Fields is in year one versus year three or year four, then Caleb Williams's curve is going to continue and he will surpass Justin Fields. And that is why you make that decision. JT Barzak, is there any way that Fields is back as the 2024 starter? Isn't the ceiling of Cable Williams too good to pass up? JT, I think the ceiling for Caleb is too good to pass up. We know Justin Fields has to be near his ceiling. If he continues to develop and grow at this point in his career, it'd be unprecedented. Unprecedented. Yes, there have been a couple guys like Rich Gannon or Alex Smith who figure it out much later. But that, that's a little bit of a, a different kind of situation because they didn't get as many opportunities. Alex Smith you know, was a complete mess with San Francisco. They all had fresh starts to get where they were. Rich Gannon got a fresh start with the Raiders. Alex Smith got a fresh start with the Chiefs. So Justin Fields getting a fresh start, maybe he can go on and do that. But staying in Chicago, that ceiling was most likely going to be limited. The Caleb Williams ceiling is fantastic. And guys, I know a lot of you like to dog Caleb Williams, and mostly it's because you love Justin Fields and you don't want to lose him as your quarterback. But Caleb Williams, he's a bad teammate. No, he's not. His his teammates liked him. He takes his offensive linemen out. He gives them gifts from his NIL money. He, He loves his offensive line. His offensive line loves him. Remember Jim McMahon used to do all that stuff? And everyone loved Jim McMahon for it. Think about Jim McMahon. If you're old enough to remember Jim McMahon, or even if you're not, but you like the highlights and you love the punky QB and the attitude, you can't love Jim McMahon and hate Caleb Williams. There's a lot of similarities with that personality. Caleb Williams, though, from, from everything I've heard, is a good teammate. Oh, I don't like that he paints his nails. All right. Well, do you know that his mother is a manicurist and he paints his nails on game day as an homage to her? Is that so bad? That's the bad teammate you're worried about, that his offensive line loves him, that you saw him in the bowl game yucking it up with his teammates and having laughs on the sidelines and cheering on his teammates, and, and that he loves his mother and paints his nails as an homage to her so she can see her son on the television and, and know why that's like that? This is the guy you hate because he's a little arrogant. Joe Burrow's arrogant. arrogant. It's not a bad thing to have as a quarterback. Caleb Williams lives in a penthouse or drives a fast car, and that bothers you? Yeah, a lot of 21-year-olds, when they get millions of dollars in NIL money, are going to get some flashy purchases. That's okay. I don't have a problem if Caleb Williams wants to enjoy the fame and the fortune a little bit. That comes with it. You're only 21 and a superstar once. Enjoy it a little bit as long as it's not interfering with your play on the field. And Caleb Williams' play on the field, as much as everyone wants to say he had a bad year, he did not. His volume statistics were down, but his per pass statistics were up in a lot of ways. His t- his touchdown percentage was basically the same, his completion percentage rose, his yards per attempt rose. In a lot of ways, Caleb Williams had just as good of a year, Some, in some ways a better year than the year before, but he didn't have the volume numbers and the team around him was not very good. But if you watch Caleb Williams play, and I know all the highlights you see are of the circus that is Caleb Williams, but Caleb Williams can play in structure. If you watch it, he, he can drop back at the ball out quick on certain structured plays. He can do that. So the people who tell you he can't do that, they're wrong. The other thing in terms of Caleb Williams and Justin Fields, and I talked about it with Lawrence Holmes, Justin's delivery is a lot more deliberate. Caleb Williams has a lightning quick release, lightning quick. Aaron Rodgers to me, Dan Marino to me, that good, just flick of the wrist and the ball's 40 yards down the field with high velocity. Caleb Williams is a special prospect. If you don't want him on your team for whatever reason you figured out, that's fine. I'm not telling you, you have to like him, but I'm telling you, Bears fans, you're going to like this kid. If he's your quarterback, you're going to like him a lot more than you're expecting. All right. Martin de Kalatia, if I'm pronouncing that right, at Marty Deck 78 Mike Evans is a free agent or wide receiver with the ninth pick. I don't know what the Bears are going to do, especially with Matt Eberflus. I don't know if they're going to go grab an edge or, or Newton as the three-tech, the nine spot. I think there's absolutely a possibility that they can do that. But when you're bringing in a rookie like this, don't spend the money on Mike Evans. I, I get that that's tempting. Go get a solid receiver that, you know, like a Marquise Brown that can contribute with DJ Moore, then get Malik Nabors or Roma Dunze. It has to be the way to go. If you're going to the quarterback... Forget the defense, you have invested gobs and gobs on the defense. You traded a two and paid Montez Sweat. You paid Tremaine Edmonds. You signed TJ Edwards. You're gonna sign Jalen Johnson. You've spent second round picks on Jervon Dexter and Brisker and Gordon and Tyreek Stevenson and, and the Montez Sweat trade. And Zach Pickens was the 64th pick, would have been a second rounder most years. You've invested. And I wouldn't be opposed if you went out and spent, if Christian Wilkins makes it to free agency and spent on him or spent on Chris Jones. I'm fine if you do that, but don't take a defensive player at nine. Take a wide receiver. Take These, these wide receivers are special. Neighbors is awesome. If he is there at nine, take him. Odunze looks like he's going to be a heck of a player. If he is there at nine, and I would think Odunze absolutely will be, take him and don't Think twice. Develop this offense. Get some young players around the rookie quarterback. Let's go. Cloudy future the second. Seems Chicago Sports Radio is mixed on what polls meant on the future of Fields. Some think polls taking QB at one. Others thought it means Fields is back. Your interpretation on polls on the QB spot today. Who were the four QBs that polls hinted at? And Of course, if you don't know what he's talking about, Courtney Cronin followed up on that. She did a heck of a job. Poles, when he was talking about the offensive coordinator, talked about the four different quarterbacks that the offensive coordinator could work with. And then when Courtney followed up on it a few questions later, Poles goes, oh, I misspoke. I didn't didn't mean anything by it. B.S. Ryan, you slipped. It's fine. Who are the four quarterbacks? Well, you got to figure three of the quarterbacks for sure here, Cloudy Future, are obviously May, Williams, and Jaden Daniels. Who is the fourth is the question. Is the fourth Bo Nix, Michael Penix, or J.J. McCarthy? Or is the fourth Justin Fields? That's the huge question. Because, and and we don't know, we will never know what Ryan Poles meant by the four quarterbacks. Did he mean Justin Fields and the three quarterbacks he likes? Or did he mean we're moving on from Justin Fields and we have four new quarterbacks we may consider drafting? I'm going to expect that it was Fields- and the top three QBs, that all three QBs expected to go in the top 10. That's my expectation. And in terms of how Ryan Poles talked, talking about the full quarterback evaluation and leaving all the doors open and everything he did, of course, and I've said it, he was going to speak highly of Justin Fields. He doesn't want to sit there and be like, oh, we were disappointed in him. We're moving on from him. All you did if you said that is tanked his trade value. So he's going to continue to speak highly of him. He doesn't know how this offseason is going to unfold. He may have an expectation to do one thing, but that may change. So overall, I think Ryan Poles said, yeah, we're probably moving on from Justin Fields, but nothing's been decided yet. That is how I interpret everything that went on. And Cav Manning, I'm so pissed I don't know where to start. Why can't this franchise do anything in order? Why is it so simple for us fans to say what to do, but they can't? I have no doubt they will have a grudge with Harbaugh, this non-move tilt towards keeping JF. Roman for OC, he has mobile QB experience. Again, I don't think this has anything to do with Justin Fields. I think, you know, don't, don't consider that at all. I don't think that has to do with it. Harbaugh, look, I'll just say this about Jim Harbaugh. And if they wanted to bring Harbaugh in, I wouldn't have been opposed to it. Jim Harbaugh wants power and control. He was not gonna get that here with Ryan Poles. He's going to get that with Raiders, and he's going to get that with the Chargers. So those are two opportunities that fit what Jim Harbaugh wants perfectly. If he comes to Chicago, he wants everything, and he's going to want $15, 16000000 which the Bears probably aren't going to pay. There are reasons why Harbaugh isn't here. Now, Ben Johnson, there are other really good offensive minds that you can look at as well. It wasn't Jim Harbaugh or Bust. But either way, they decided to keep Cav, I don't like it. You know I don't like it. And as for Greg Roman, not a fan, honestly. I don't want to see Greg Roman here. If he's here as a run game coordinator, that's fine. I don't need Greg Roman's passing attack around my quarterback anymore. That, that ship has sailed as far as I'm concerned. All right, Conrad Jarrett. I know it's wishful thinking, but Tom Landry and Bill Parcells both struggled initially when they built their team's culture Grasping at straws, but maybe fluce will continue to improve? Maybe? All right, Conrad, and, and here's the truth. Yeah, we don't know if Matt Eberfloos... Matt Eberflus might turn into a great coach. It's possible. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, Chuck Knoll is another one. You, you bring up, you know, Landry and Parcells, who, yeah, they got off to rough starts. Chuck Knoll got off to a terrible start, and, and obviously the Steelers were dominant throughout the 1970s. So, yeah, it's absolutely possible. It's also interesting you're bringing up guys from 40... 50 years ago, tells you how much the, the, you know, the sport has changed. But here's the bottom line. And here's what I'll say. I will root my ass off for Matt Eberflus. At this point, moving forward, as upset as I am about this decision, I will root my ass off for Matt Eberflus. I want that guy to succeed because I want my team to succeed. And I hope Ryan Poles was correct and that I'm wrong. I do not care to see the Bears suck and have this all blow up in their face so I can sit there on Twitter and go, I told you so, you should have lined up the coach and the QB. I don't need that. I'm not that petty. I want to be wrong. When, I'm saying, when I sit here in, in front of this microphone and talk about how I think this team is screwing things up, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong so bad that I can no longer do a podcast because I sound like an ignoramus. That's what I want but it doesn't happen. And I'm still here years later because I keep saying the Bears are doing the wrong things. And guess what? They're doing the wrong damn things. And they did the wrong damn thing again. But regardless of that, I will root my ass off for Matt Eberflus because I want this to succeed. Uh, At Joggernaut, what is the least painless way to end my suffering as a Bears fan? All right, JJ. Well, the obvious thing here is to hitch your wagon to a new team. If you're done with this team, I understand. Go, just, you can't root for another NFC North team. In fact, you can't root for another NFC team. Go to the AFC. Look at some of the options, and I'll tell you what. If you want a new team, pick the Houston Texans. They have C.J. Stroud because of Ryan Poles and the trade. Get Bryce Young, and they got C.J. Stroud. If they had the number one pick, I'm pretty sure they would have taken Bryce Young. But because Ryan Poles got the number one pick and traded it, they got to have C.J. Stroud. And they have Will Anderson. D'Amico Ryans looks fun. Bobby Slowick, while he's there, looks fun. Cheer for the Houston Texans. They barely ever play the Bears. It's once every four years. Enjoy a young up-and-coming team and leave the Chicago Bears in the rearview mirror where you can end your suffering. Hey, Bear! Are we now in the worst stretch of football, uh, Bears football, in the modern era? I know the 90s were rough, but post Lovey till now has got to be the worst. I actually, I did something on this a while ago, Chris. I don't remember the numbers, but there were three. It was the 1970s pre-Payton, like the end of the late 60s. They went one and 13 with Dick Buckus and Gale Sears. I don't know how that's possible. But late 60s into the mid 70s, they were atrocious. Then you have the 90s. And for me, the 90s were the most painful because it came off the 80s where they were so good. And then they were so bad for so long because Michael McCaskey ran everything into the ground. For me, because I feel I was more emotional. I was younger. You know, I was more invested. Not that I'm not invested in this team now, but as older, you deal with the losses better. At least I do. So to me personally, the 90s are still the worst. But I think if you looked at it objectively that yes we are in the worst stretch we have ever had for the Chicago Bears. I mean we are talking about one winning season since Lovie Smith has gotten fired. What that is absolutely ridiculous that that is even the uh, even the case here. All right, Dave Ignacio, bill appreciate you polling your contacts a couple days ago. It got us ready for today. If you don't know, I did a survey. I talked about it on last week's podcast. 37 people A lot of Chicago media, but a lot of national media too. And I'll just tell you that national media, I'm not saying who participated in it, but think about guys like Schefter, Rapp, Pellicero, Garofalo, you know, the the bigger names like that. This is not some guy from footballnews.com. These were bigger names. And I'm not saying those names did or didn't participate that I just mentioned, but those were the type of names I pulled nationally. Guys that really knew football and were connected to the league plus a lot of the local media that's at Hallis Hall regularly. So bottom line, do you think the front office retains Fields and trades down for additional draft capital? No, I do not. I'm trying to not get to every one of these Fields questions, but bottom line is here. And I haven't talked about it, so I will just mention it briefly here. The amount of money it is going to take to retain Justin Fields is not talked about enough. And Bears fans doing that. well, you can decline the fifth year option. You can franchise tag them. Whatever games you want to play, you still need to commit to Justin Fields. Because if the idea is to just get Fields for a couple more years and figure out the quarterback position later, we talked about it. It's an awful, awful idea to do. You commit to Justin Fields. And if you commit to Justin Fields, his agent, when he talks to Ryan Poles, is going to go, all right, let me get this straight. Justin Fields is your quarterback. You've had him here five, six years, you know, four or five years by the time that you're talking extension. You kept him over C.J. Stroud. You kept him over Bryce Young. You kept him over Anthony Richardson. You kept him over Jaden Daniels. You kept him over Drake May. And you kept him over Caleb Williams. At least one of those quarterbacks is a superstar, and probably two or three of them are going to be superstars. And you committed to Justin Fields over all those opportunities you are gonna pay this man $50 million. That's happening. Do not think Justin Fields is gonna sign for less than Daniel Jones and you can get him for 30, 35 million a year. No chance. Justin Fields is here. You have to pay him big bucks and that's gonna limit what you can do with your roster. So no one, no one is talking about the financial commitment enough. That is important to keep in mind. And that's the number one reason why Justin Fields isn't going to be back is the finances of going from having to pay a guy 45 to $50 million a year to having four more years of a rookie contract with a very good quarterback prospect. All right. And I am going to finally finish with this question. A lot of questions about offensive coordinators, Shane Waldron, uh, Greg Roman, who would be some offensive coordinator candidates you like So let's go over that here as we wrap up the podcast. You know what I'm going to use? I'm going to use the athletics article. Adam Johns put out 14 candidates. I'm going to go through these and just give you a quick reaction. Greg Roman, not interested. If we want to run a college offense and and keep Justin Fields and run him 25 times a game and injure him and shorten his career, let's get Greg Roman. His passing attack is is inadequate, not interested. Uh, Frank Reich was just a debacle with the Panthers. Was it completely his fault? No. But after failing Bryce Young that much, I don't need to see Frank Reich trying to develop my quarterback. No, thank you. Eric Bieniemy. more interest there. Keep in mind, Eric Bieniemy rubs people in the organization sometimes the wrong way. He's not exactly a, a friendly guy. That's okay. But, you know, will his personality and Caleb Williams personality will that clash a little I don't know that's going to be something to think about but B. enemy did get a lot out of Sam Howell so that is someone I would consider Thomas Brown the Panthers offensive coordinator I know he's part of that Kyle Shanahan Sean McVay tree I need to see more than that I I, I just I need to see for developing Caleb Williams assuming it's Caleb Williams Drake May whatever I need a, a, an offensive coordinator that's got a little more experience in in, in, in terms of doing that. I, I I need some more, you know, first time play callers and or limited play callers and this kind of stuff. No, I want to see someone a little more established. Jim Caldwell also on the list. No, thank you. I didn't know why he was a finalist. Caldwell gets a bad rap because he's kind of a dud in terms of personality. He's very quiet, soft spoken. Caldwell's pretty good, but sixty eight years old. I need a younger guy that's gonna connect with Caleb Williams more, not interested there. Kellen Moore, Chargers offensive coordinator, a guy I would consider did not have a good year with the Chargers this year. It's not amazing in terms of what he's done. I know he's had some success in certain seasons, obviously with Dallas before, before the Chargers. I'd put him on my list, but I wouldn't be excited about it. I think I'd rather have Eric Bieniemy from this list. Uh, Daryl Bevel, I think that's absolutely a possibility. There are some ties here with Bevel to the organization. You know, he had success, a lot of success with Russell Wilson. He developed a young quarterback before. He's not ancient. He's 54 years old. He's about Matt Eberflus's age. That's a guy I could put on the list. Absolutely, I would consider it. Marcus Brady from the Eagles, I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about Brady, I do know he's got ties to the Colts when Eberflus was there, I'm going to just say pass because I don't know enough information, you know, I know a lot of people like Brady and think he's got some potential there, and that's fine, I don't know enough about him, I've got to kind of do a little more research about him, Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator, That's another McVay, Shanahan guy. Zach Taylor does a lot of the offense there. I'm going to say no, because in fact, one, I don't love Zach Taylor anyway. But two, when you get the offensive coordinators from offensive head coaches, you just don't know how much they're doing. See Matt Nagy with Andy Reid. I don't want to go back to that. Clint Kubiak, 49ers passing game coordinator. He was an offensive coordinator before with, I believe it was the Vikings, has some experience there, McVay, Tree, Gary Kubiak, I love, obviously, you kind of get him as a pseudo, uh, you know, a pseudo advisor because he's, you know, it's his dad. Um, so Clint Kubiak, a guy I would put on the list, not opposed there. Mike LaFleur, he's the Rams offensive coordinator. Didn't have a ton of su- success with the Jets, but he did have a terrible quarterback situation. I'd be a little nervous there, but that is a guy you consider. Zach Robinson, if I'm going to take a guy I'm you know that doesn't have enough experience I'm gonna take Zach Robinson I like him I've heard a lot of positive things about him I've heard he's kind of Ben Johnson light in terms of that guy that just seems to get it and has an opportunity to to take a step forward but again doesn't have the the experience in terms of you know there's going to be some concern there that he may not be able to handle the job when you bring in a big guy like Caleb Williams but that's a guy I would absolutely consider Frank Smith. You got to love what the dolphins did, but again, how much of it is Frank Smith? How much is, is Mike McDaniel? That's a decision that it's gotta be, you know, that, that the bears would have to make. I am, I wouldn't be surprised if the bears bring him in for an interview. He's going to get some head coaching interviews as well. That's going to be, you know, a very interesting situation there. Cliff Kingsbury is a guy. A lot of people are connecting the dots. He, He knows Caleb Williams makes a lot of sense. You know, he did the Patrick Mahomes-style offense for Patrick Mahomes in college. Kingsbury could be interesting, but Kingsbury and Kyler Murray did not work. So when Kingsbury's the main guy there and it's not Lincoln Riley, you got to be curious how much that's going to work. So, you know, there's not this perfect guy that just jumps off the page in terms of who the offensive coordinator could be, but there are absolutely plenty of opportunities for the Chicago Bears to get a good offensive coordinator that can help out with Caleb Williams. So, we have reached the off season. That means Bears banter goes into periodic mode. We will continue to do podcasts throughout the off season. We will obviously preview the draft plenty. We will talk about the draft after it happens. We will be all about free agency. We will get guests on where we can see fit and we will, you know, continue to talk about you know this offensive coordinator spot and what's next for the Chicago Bears. So we will talk to you again when we talk to you again. Probably after the Bears hire an offensive coordinator, maybe as we approach the Hall of Fame with, of course, Julius Peppers, Devin Hester, and Steve McMichael all possibly getting in this year. A lot of potential Bears. That could be a lot of fun as well. So we will do what we can. We will give you as much content as we can throughout the off season. We have survived another Chicago Bears season. And while I do not like that Matt Eberflus is back, I do think Ryan Poles has set up this team to succeed. And I still have more hope than doubt. I just don't like the fact that I have more doubt than I wanted to. But I have more hope than doubt that the Chicago Bears are headed in the right direction for 2024. We will talk to you soon. Bear it out, everybody. Adios.